0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter. Sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk.
1: So in a moment, Paul is going to talk to us on the second um, item, theme in our new series, which is the idea of together. Last week, we spoke about singleness, and together, together today, Paul will be speaking about friendship. So before that, I'm going to read our passage for us. So this comes from John chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word brought to us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at it freely this morning together. We pray for Paul and thank you so much for the preparation that he's done. And we pray that we would all grow this morning as we listen to your words through him. Amen.
0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, lovely to be worshiping with you once again. As Joe said, we're continuing our series uh, called Together. If you missed the first one in the series, you missed an absolute treat. Last week, Lauren Wendell uh, was talking about singleness. You can catch up with that on our YouTube channel if you'd like to hear what Lauren had to say. Uh, very much worth catching up with. Today, as um, as Joe said, we're talking about friendship, and I love the fact that we've just. Heard from Corey and from Barbara, because that's a lovely example of a friendship between different cultures and between different generations in our church. And I just love it when church exemplifies that. Uh, so it's great to see that. Um, something else that happened yesterday in the building is something called the Welcome Course, where uh, a number of people from the church are involved in welcoming people who've just arrived in the UK from other cultures. Uh, So that's something for you to bear in mind for your prayers as well as we go forward. So friendship. Well, my name is Paul Cook. I'm one of the leaders here at the church and apparently Facebook tells me I've got 439 friends. Um, If you are one of my Facebook friends, I apologize. I am the worst Facebook friend in the world. Uh, I never post anything and unless you're on the kind of one day a fortnight that I happen to look at the feed and you're in the first six messages. If you're not there, I'm afraid I don't respond. So I'm really sorry, I know that's rubbish, but I don't know, somehow uh, life just gets the better of me. Um, We all know about Facebook friends, don't we? But we also know that it's not the same thing as genuine friendship. As I was uh, researching this topic, I came across this website called the Roots of Loneliness Project. Uh, And as far as I can see, it's got literally nothing to do with any faith uh, whatsoever. But on this uh, site, they've got a blog post about how Facebook has just not delivered the the original vision, which was to help people be more connected. But in fact, that's not the way it's working out. People are feeling increasingly Lonely in our world. And on that website, they've done some research. And it doesn't matter what age or what stage we're at, loneliness is a very real problem for very many of us. And sadly, it appears that the younger we are, the more likely we probably are to experience loneliness. And maybe there's a correlation there, do you think, between the rise of social media and that sense of loneliness? I suspect there probably is. And it may be that there's a gender thing here as well. Um, Somebody in the week, uh, actually it was a female member of the congregation, sent me uh, this uh, article that she'd come across just in the website of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, uh, which suggests that maybe this friendship thing is something that we blokes struggle with a bit more than women. Uh, And the article suggests that we maybe have a lot of mates But perhaps we don't have many people that we have a genuinely deep connection with. And I wonder if that's your experience. If it is, what can we do about that, I wonder? Anyway, friendship, it's a huge subject, isn't it? How on earth do you talk about friendship in 20 minutes? Um, Well, one answer is you cheat. And you go to somebody who's written a little book about it. uh, And you see how they've organized the material. So that's what I've done. Okay, So apologies, I've nicked everything from this book by Vaughan Roberts called True Friendship. Uh, Vaughan Roberts says this, he says, true friendship basically uh, involves being, uh, or it is crucial, it is close, it is constant, it is candid, and it is careful. Now, I reckon uh, that this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and it's wonderful that every week here at Belmont, we have people joining us who are not yet followers of Jesus, but are just thinking through the claims of the gospel and what it might mean for them in person and online. Uh, You're so welcome, by the way, if that's you, really, really welcome with us here today. I think it's fantastic that we have you, and I think you will say amen to that. And I think anybody who's already a follower of Jesus will also say amen to those things. True friendship is all of that. But then Vaughan Roberts, because he's a Christian pastor, sneaks in another C at the end, which you may think, oh, I'm not sure about that one. But he says this. He says, true, true friendship is Christ-centered. Uh, now, let me explain what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that if we're followers of Jesus, we should only be friends with other followers of Jesus. I don't think that would be helpful or healthy at all. But that's not what we mean when we talk about true friendship being Christ-centred. I'll get on to what it actually does mean a bit later on in the talk, but uh, we'll just store that away in the back of our minds for the moment. So let's have a think about those, uh, those different C's, shall we? What true friendship is. And let's start with the idea of true friendship being crucial. I don't know if you've, if you've ever opened a Bible before in your life or not, most of you probably will have done, but all you've got to do basically is is open the first page, open the first page, and just have a quick look down, and not literally the first page, but the first page of Genesis, and you will see again and again and again this statement that God saw that it was good. As he creates the world, he says it's good, but there is one thing that God said is not good? Can, only one. Only one in the first two pages of the Bible. Can you remember what God says is not good? Anybody who's, who knows the Bible reasonably well? What does he say is not good? Thank you. It's not good for the man to be alone, he says. Now, I know that in Genesis chapter 2, that leads on to the creation of Eve, but I don't actually think that... Uh, the statement, it's not good for the man to be alone, is fundamentally about romantic relationships or about procreative partners. Last week, Lauren, in her absolutely excellent talk, made the point, didn't she, that Jesus is a single saviour. He didn't have romantic relationships, he didn't have a procreative partner, but he was still the most fully human being who has ever lived. He was fully divine as well, but he was fully human. So it can't be saying in Genesis chapter two that it's not good for us to have romantic relationships or procreative partners. It's saying something more basic than that. It's saying that we all need other people around us. This is what uh, Vaughan Roberts says uh, as he thinks about that verse. He says, we may, offer, we may differ Sorry, in being more gregarious or more reserved, and that's, that's for sure. We'll have the whole gamut here this morning. Um, incidentally, I learnt, I learnt a new word as I was preparing this talk, ambivert. you come across that before? If you're a bit of an extrovert and a bit of an introvert, apparently you're an ambivert. Um, sounds like it should be something in a nature documentary, but apparently it's a, it's a category of person. Um, whatever we are, wherever we are on that spectrum... All of us are united as human beings made in God's image. That's what it says in in Genesis. We're made in the image of God. We're united in our need for intimate relationship. And the reason is because God himself, in whose image we are made, is, in the Bible, relationship. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is relationship in and of himself, in all eternity. And so if we're made in his image, it's not surprising that we should yearn for relationship as well. But how do we develop intimate relationships with 400 or whatever it is friends? That's just crazy, isn't it, trying to do that? Well, obviously, yes, it is. You you can't possibly try and do that. And I don't think scripture ever encourages us to try and do that. And when we look at Jesus, we can see uh, how he approached the whole area of friendship, and it's quite interesting. Um, there's a thing uh, in, uh, when people talk about leadership sometimes, when they look at Jesus and they talk about the 31272 principle. I don't know if you've ever heard about that before, uh, but we are not talking about leadership this morning, so we need to think about friendship. And I think it's just as relevant Three, twelve, seventy-two. 72, what's that about? Well, it's about how Jesus organized or interacted with the people around him. First of all, you've got this great group of people, his equivalent of the Facebook friends, if you like, uh, that are just described as being many others in the Gospel of Luke. And then out of that great group, on one occasion, he picks out 72 And he says to those 72, right, I'm going to give you my authority and my power to go and preach and teach and heal. uh, And you're going to go on mission for me. So that's what he does. They have a a more intimate relationship with him than the many others. But then alongside the 72, he's got a group of 12. And he says to the 12, I'm not going to send you out all the time to go and do things. What I want you to do is spend time with me. in fact, he spends the whole night up on a mountainside in prayer to his heavenly father before he chooses these 12. It's a really important choice for him to get these 12 people to do life with him day in, day out. But then there are three, just three, Peter, James, and John, out of the 12, who he wants with him in the most intimate moments of his ministry. And that involves both the high points, like the The transfiguration, when he takes Peter and James and John up the mountainside and they see Jesus in his heavenly glory, the highest points, and also the lowest points, like in Gethsemane, when Jesus is on his knees, he is crushed as he thinks about what is coming up, bearing the sin of the world on his sinless shoulders, and he's literally sweating blood And he wants Peter and James and John to be with him, to keep watch with him, to pray with him. Now, now if you know either of those stories, you'll know that actually Peter and James and John are not particularly helpful in either situation. But Jesus wants them to be with him, which I think is important. And then all of Jesus' relationships, they flow out of that intimate relationship one-to-one relationship that he has with his father. And when we think about us, I think we see the same pattern, don't we? If we're followers of Jesus, our relationship with him will be central. We'll have a small group around us who are really close friends, and then we'll gradually have people that we have a connection with, but it'll be less intimate. And the thing is, people will move in and out, won't they? Of those different bands as we go through life, as we hit different ages and stages, as we move around the country, all those different things, it's normal that we move in and out. But because friendship is so crucial, uh, let's hope and pray and work towards making sure that we've got people, particularly in those really close bands. So that's the first C, true friendship is crucial. Let's move on to our second two Cs. Um, True friendship is close and it's constant. Um, If you wanted a book in the Bible where you've got some really helpful stuff about friendship, I would say go to the book of Proverbs. Uh, It's practical wisdom. It's right there in the middle of the scriptures. Uh, It's inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's really helpful for us as we think about day-to-day life. And in uh, the, uh, the book of Proverbs, we've got a couple which help us with um, thinking about this idea of friendship being close and constant. So it says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Maybe you've experienced that, unreliable friendships. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's the closeness. And then previous chapter, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. There's the constancy, all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Uh, Interesting that in both of those verses, you've got a friend on the one hand and you've got a close family member, it happens to be a brother, on the other. Uh, and I think that's, that's no accident, because in, that cu- in the culture that the Proverbs are written in, where family was even more important than it is in our culture today, if you were a family member, you were there if there was a problem. You know, if somebody got into difficulties, whether they were financial or they just needed practical help, you were there. That was your job as a family member. And I'm sure many of us have benefited from family members who've come alongside us to help us when life's been challenging. If you're a family member, you kind of have to do it. It's kind of expected of you, isn't it? But if you're a friend, there's no social obligation. There's no genetic link between you and your friend. You've chosen to be there. That's another C we could use, chosen. That's special, isn't it? When somebody chooses to be with you in those kinds of ways, to be close To be constant. What a blessing to be chosen in that way to invest in your life. But it's also uh, candid and careful, true friendship. Close and constant, candid and careful. Candid is a word we don't use very often. Uh, Some of you my age, you might remember a program on the TV called Candid Camera. You remember that? I'm showing my age now. I reckon this guy exemplifies candor. Candid is, if you're candid, you are open, you are honest, you are straightforward, uh, and sometimes you can be, <laughs> yeah, quite brutal if you're very candid. Um, Simon Cowell apparently said in one of his shows, uh, last year I described someone as being the worst singer in America. I think you're possibly the worst singer in the world. Um, That's candid, but it isn't careful. And the Bible encourages us to be both candid and careful. Um, Candid, well, again, the Proverbs help us. What does it say in uh, Proverbs 27.6? It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yeah? But actually kind of, we can see how that works in reality. If somebody's always telling me all the time, oh, Paul, you're fantastic, you're great, you're wonderful, you're marvellous. A, I know they're not telling me the truth. And B, they're not actually helping me. Ultimately, of course, I need some positive affirmation. We all need positive affirmation. But if that's all we ever get, we're never going to kind of grow properly. Proverbs says, actually, if you've got a friend, a real friend, then you can You can trust them to tell you the truth. Even if it hurts, you can trust them. Whereas an enemy, well, they might multiply kisses. After church um, a few weeks ago, um, somebody came up to me, um, a friend came up to me and challenged me about something in my lifestyle. And I could see it wasn't easy for this person to challenge me. They were kind of a bit nervous about coming up to me. They thought they might damage the friendship that we have. Um, and they said, I really hope you don't mind me saying this, but, and then they, they challenged me about something. And I was so, I was a little bit taken aback at first, because you don't always have that kind of conversation. But actually, as I reflected on it, I was just really grateful that that person cared enough about me to challenge that area of my life. And I hope and I pray that people will keep on challenging me about things where I need to think carefully about whether I should change. I really hope that you've got people in your life who can do that for you and that you're able to do it for others. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But we need to be careful how we do that, don't we? That can easily go badly wrong, and I've been, I've been there where it's gone badly wrong as well. Uh, Proverbs says in, Proverbs 25.20 this time, isn't it? Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. You want your garment on a cold day. Don't go taking it away from me. Or like vinegar poured on a wound. Ow! Is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Singing songs is good. People who are joyful. People who are full of faith and praise and joy. is fantastic. But if you're feeling really down... We don't want them to be boisterous and joyful at that particular moment. We need to choose our moments to sing songs. And we need to choose our moments just to sit quietly and pray with somebody who's feeling really depressed and down. We need to be careful as well as being candid. And guess what? I think the best possible example is Jesus. Uh, We are taking a little break just at the moment from the Gospel of John, aren't we? Um, Well, some of you don't know that. We are taking a break from the Gospel of John, for those of you who are new. And we're going to continue the Gospel of John um, into into the whole of next year, I think. And when we finally get to the very end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, we'll come to this scene. Jesus uh, has been crucified. Uh, He has been raised from the dead. And he appears on the lakeside shore to his disciples who've been out fishing. And he has prepared a breakfast for them. Barbecued fish on the beach. What could be better, eh? That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? And as part of that, Jesus takes his friend Simon Peter to one side. And twice, he says to him, Simon Peter, do you you love me? And twice Peter says, yeah, 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 I love you. Of course I love you. And then it says, John 21 and verse 17, the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt, wounds from a friend. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Why is he hurt? He's hurt because Jesus is saying, I know that you denied me three times when I was on trial in the high priest's house. I know you came to the fire to watch what was going to happen. I know you were there warming yourself. And I know when that girl came up to you and said, you were one of his followers, weren't you? That you said, no, 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 never heard of him. Jesus, Jesus who? No, never heard of him. And I know you did it three times. Jesus is saying, I remember what you did. You know that I know what you did. But Peter, listen. I've forgiven you for letting me down, for being a rubbish friend. I forgive you for that. And now, I want to take you and I want you to do something really important for me. Peter says, Lord... You know all things. You know about that stuff in the courtyard. But you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Feed my sheep. He's building him up, but he's also reminding him that as he leads others, he needs to remember how difficult he's found it sometimes to stand up for Jesus. He needs to be a gentle shepherd, he needs to be a careful shepherd, he needs to know he's a forgiven shepherd. Jesus is candid, but Jesus is really careful in how he deals with Peter. Okay, let's come on to our final C. True friendship is Christ-centered. This is the one where, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you might be thinking, not sure about this one. Okay, why do we say Christ-centered? This is... um, This is a a well-known American preacher and Bible uh, teacher and church leader called Tim Keller. And he has got a great sermon on friendship on the internet, okay? So I I recommend that to you. You can listen to it. And in it, uh, Tim Keller says this, this profile of true friendship, all the stuff we've just been looking at, he says, it fills me with longing. Of course it does. Who doesn't want a friend who's going to be close and constant, and candid, and careful. I want friends like that, don't you? They sound fantastic, don't they? Those kind of friends. Yeah, fills me with longing, he says. But I also find the profile to be crushing. And uh, yeah, I know what he means. I know what he means because I don't know about you, but I'm conscious that I am often not that kind of friend. I should be close, I'm often distant. I should be constant, I can be very intermittent. I should be candid, and I frequently lack the courage to be candid, and I should be careful. And sometimes when I'm candid, I'm not at all careful, and I end up hurting people. It can feel very crushing when we see the portrait of ideal, true friendship. But that's why it's so important that we think about friendship as being Christ-centered. In the reading that, um, that Joe did for us uh, from John chapter 15, we have this lovely verse, don't we? These, these lovely words from Jesus. John 15, 15, uh, he says, I've, I've called you friends. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the 11 disciples Judas has gone He's talking to the 11 disciples around a table. He says, oh, I've really wanted to have this Passover meal with you. And he talks to them about what's going to happen in the future uh, and how they're going to know him and experience him, even though he's going to die for them. He's going to rise again. He says, I've called you friends. Who's he talking to specifically? He's talking to Peter the denier in just A few hours, Peter's going to go out after this meal and say, never heard of him. Haven't got a clue who you're talking about. Jesus who? Peter, I have called you friend, says Jesus. And then there are 10 others who are around that table with him. What do they do when Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane? They leg it as fast as they can in the other direction, they abandon their Lord and their friend and their master. They desert him. And Jesus says to them, knowing fully what's going to happen, I have called you friends. I think it's a really helpful reminder to us that friendship is not about how good we are at being friends. It's not about our merit because frankly, our merits, my merit, is pretty lightweight. But Jesus' grace, that's heavy. That's weighty. That's substantial. Jesus' completely undeserved favour, blessing, forgiveness, pardon. Towards me, towards you. That's weighty. And if I remember that, it helps me when I'm feeling a bit rubbish about the state of my friendships. Now, it's not that Jesus is saying, "Ah, oh, don't worry about friendship, do what you like, I'll forgive you anyway. He sets the bar high, doesn't he, here? In verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is expecting us to be serious about being obedient to him as our Lord and our Master. But... What's the most important command of them them all? It's the one we read, that Joe read in our final verse, verse 17 of chapter 15. Love each other. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciples, be serious about friendship. Be serious about loving one another and caring for one another in the circles that God has placed each one of us in. So there we are. True friendship is crucial. It's close. It's constant. It's candid. It's careful. And I believe if it's Christ-centred, it'll help us deal with the times that we let our friends down and our friends let us down because we'll be rooted in the unswerving, unremitting friendship of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. Shall we pray? Father God, we, we thank you so much for the gift of friendship. Thank you for the people that you've put in our lives who are there for us when we go through tough times and also when we go through joyful times and just doing the ordinary mundane stuff of life with. Thank you for those lovely people that you've put around us. Lord, we're sorry when we are sometimes not the friends that we would wish to be. And we ask you to help us to forgive those who have let us down through their friendship. Help us, Lord, to know that we truly have a friend in the Lord Jesus Christ who is willing to give his life for us, who was willing to go to the cross for people who denied him, for people who deserted him. And Lord, we recognise ourselves in those descriptions. Thank you, Jesus, that your friendship is so deep, your grace is so powerful, that you did all of those things, that we might truly be your friends. Holy Spirit, come and empower us, we pray, in our friendships. Help us to be those who are close and constant, candid and careful. And may we, above all, be rooted in you so that you might transform our relationships. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that beautiful Saviour, our Lord and our Master. Amen.